following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. It is a privilege to preach the gospel, and it's always a privilege to be able to kick off a new sermon series for the month. And this month we are focusing on discipleship. And um, we, we've actually got two titles for it. You can say it either way. It is either defining discipleship or discipleship defined. You can say it either way, whatever way you want to say it. But the reality is, how many of you know discipleship's a big subject? So I am not going to define it today. I'm going to define a portion of it. I'm going to just touch on it. And Pastor Renee will be touching on it. Pastor Dave will be touching on it throughout this month. So um, um, I do want to say this. Um, Discipleship is a huge part of our vision. In our vision statement, we say this, a, a portion of what we say. We are dedicated to providing a pathway of spiritual growth that will disciple, equip, and mobilize believers to be fruitful members of God's kingdom. In that statement, we make a differentiation differentiation, thank you, between equipping and discipleship. There's a big difference between discipleship and equipping, and sometimes we think they're the same thing. But if you don't believe me, just let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen someone who's very gifted and very equipped at giving Jesus away, but have very poor people skills? Don't raise your hand. I have. I've seen people who were equipped, but have never been discipled, and therefore they don't get along well with people. Discipleship is important. In fact, and I believe this, until you've been discipled, equipping uh, doesn't really do what it ought to do. Because it oftentimes is out of the wrong motivation. And we are a church who wants to provide a pathway of growth that does disciple, that does equip, and does mobilize. One of the reasons we have so many ministries, in fact, most, can I say this, most of the ministries we've ordained and commissioned are not in the church, this church. And that excites me. Why? Because they've got ministries of their own. They're out doing what God has called them to do, and we just got to have a little piece in, in, uh, sending them, in some cases equipping them, but not all. But the reality is that, uh, I like what Renee says it this way, we are a church that wants to build up people who in turn will build up other people. You got it, girl. We are a church that wants to build people who in turn build up other people. If you're wondering what one of the primary missions of Living Waters Church is, it's that right there. It's taking those who uh, were once wounded warriors and make them victors. In fact, we heard it prophetically this morning. Victors uh, for Jesus Christ. So we draw, draw a distinction between discipleship 
and equipping. I want us to recognize that when we are talking about making disciples, we're not talking about the Old Testament model where a rabbi had disciples and they made him followers of him. Unless the rabbi that you're talking about is Jesus, that is not the model we use. You are not becoming a follower of a person. You're becoming a follower, well, you are, of the person of Jesus Christ. You're not becoming a follower of, of, of this guy or that gal or this guy. You're becoming a follower of one person, then that is Jesus Christ. We make disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves. And Paul said it. He said, well, you can, you can mimic me or you can model me or you can, you can uh, do what I do, but only as I follow Christ. By th- do I dare say this? By the way, that's true in marriage too. Wives, submit to your husbands. End of sentence. No, it's not. Wives, Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. We're always pointing to Jesus, even in marriage. If I don't lead looking like Jesus, then I don't expect my wife to submit to me. Did I just say that? That's not even in my notes. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Actually, I do know why I said that because it bubbled up. But the reality is that we're always pointing people to Jesus and to him. This morning, I want to focus on one of the defining points, and I believe it's an important one, of a disciple. I want us to turn to the Gospel of John and chapter 13. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 31 through 38. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his departure. He has just let them know that there's a betrayer among them. John, who wrote this book, is leaning on the chest of Jesus and says to uh, him, who is it? And he says, it is he to whom I give a piece of bread. And we know that it was Judas. Judas has just left the room. It's interesting to me how from this time on, and we saw it when we looked at John 17, from this time on, Jesus changes how he speaks. It's as if it's already done. Because it's like once things are set in motion, It's going to all unfold. And so Jesus prays in John 17 to the Father like he's already done it. In fact, he really hadn't. He hadn't been to the cross yet. He had not yet been glorified at the cross and in the resurrection. And yet he speaks as though he is. And it's no different here. John chapter 13, verse 31. So when he had gone out, that is Judas, when Judas has let the group, in fact, Jesus had said to him, what you do, do it quickly. Go do it quickly. Let's get on with it. You realize what he's saying? He's saying to his betrayer, come on, let's get on with this. It's already done. It's already written. So we might as well just get on with it. 
So when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, I want you to catch this now. Jesus is saying, because I'm about to leave you, I've got something very important for you to understand. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Listen to this. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the marks, and it's the mark I want to talk about this morning, of a disciple is a love for the brethren, a love for other disciples. What Jesus is really saying is, I've been with you for these three plus years and I have loved you and now I'm leaving and now I want you to love one another. I want you to take my place in loving one another as I have loved you. How many of you know the world needs love? How many of you know we need love? And I feel like there was an urgency in Jesus. Do you notice that he said to them, I give you a new commandment? I thought he'd already give them, gave them that commandment. No, I don't believe he had. He gave them the great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and you know, body, soul, and your neighbor as yourself. But I want to suggest that this is different. This has to do with the love in the church, the love for the brethren, the love for one another. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is confronting the church and he says, you have left your first love. Returned, he talks about the first love and the first works. And I want to suggest that part of, at least for me, and I believe it would be for many of us, our first love was not just that we fell in love with God, but we fell in love with God's people. And we couldn't get enough of being in church services. We couldn't, we, we lived up north when I first got saved and, and we drove uh, about an hour and a half to a little church in Ebro because it was a spirit-filled church. In fact, it's the first church I ever was asked to preach in. But it was a little spirit-filled church that had the life of God in it. And we just drove there uh, on a Sunday and drove home because we were so hungry for What? The people of God. People. More than Jesus. I'm going to say some things today that might rock you, but I'm going to give it scriptural evidence. In fact, I'll say one right now. I believe this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with your all and your neighbor as yourself. I believe the evidence of whether I'm loving the Lord my God with my all is how I treat my neighbor. 
That's what I believe. We charismatics have a... Settle down, Bob. We have a tendency to feel like our love for God is all about a worship and emotion. And I'll tell you what, I love to worship, and I love to praise, and I love to connect with God, and I love the reality of what I said earlier this morning, that he inhabits our praises. But it's way more than that. If, my, if that experience and if my love for God doesn't change in that presence, if that doesn't change how I relate to you and improve how I relate to you, I question how much love there really is between me and God, at least from my end. I want to read on a little bit into verse 36 because I want to draw a distinction. So Jesus has given in this new commandment, love one another. Simon Peter, verse 36 of that same chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? You know I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Sometimes we make our focus all about how much we love God. Peter made that mistake. It was like, oh, but God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I'll follow you to the death. And Jesus said, "Eh, no, you won't. I want to suggest that our focus in life should not be as much about how much I love God as it is about how much he loves me. See, John understood this. He said, I am the disciple. He kind of writes in code, so he, I guess he's being humble, but it's pretty obvious to anybody that's read much of the Bible that John, speaking of himself as the one whom Jesus loved, And it was important to John that he was known as a disciple that Jesus loved. It seemed to be important to Peter that he was known as a disciple that loved God. And I have found this. It is much wiser to focus on how much God loves me than to focus on how much I love God. But I have found this. If I focus on how much God loves me, then I just want to love you. It's true. It's like this is overflowing, gushy, gushy love that comes from God the Father to me, and I want to give it away. And I can't give it all to her. (laughs) Or her, or him. (laughs) 
But we, we want to give it away, don't we? We just, you know, there's the old saying, I just love everybody. One of the pastors who mentored me said, mm, you haven't met everybody yet. <laughs> but we do. There's something in us as we realize the love of God that we do want to give it away. And I want, I want you to notice, now I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to the scripture because of time, but you, I think you know it well. G, Peter did deny Jesus three times, and then the rooster crowed. And if we go on into the book of John, into verse 21, we find that Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to do a do-over. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, okay, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asks the second time, Peter, do you, in fact, he doesn't say Peter. He says, Simon, do you love me? He uses his old name instead of the name he had given him. Do you love me? Second time. And Peter says, you know I love you. And he says, okay, tend my sheep. Different wording, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love, or Simon, do you love me? And Peter just, he's wounded, he's hurt that Jesus asks him for a third time if he loved him. But I want to suggest that Jesus did that to make sure Peter understood that his three-time denial was trumped by a three-time expression of his love for God. And so he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, okay, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What am I, why am I recounting that story? Because I want you to make the association of just what I'm saying to you. Jesus said to him, if you love me, express it to my people. Peter, if you love me, Spend all your time worshiping me. No. Peter, if you love me, read your Bible and pray every day. No. Peter, if you love me, take care of my people. Relate to my people. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. The expression of our love for God. And please don't mishear me. Worship is important. Bible reading is important. Devotion is important. Prayer is important. But the reality, all those things just lead to the place to where I'm a good lover of people. The evidence that I'm living out the first 
part of the great commandment is reflected in how I'm living out the second part. This same John said this. He said it more bluntly than I am saying it. He said, don't tell me you love God. If you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. That's John. His first letter. And then he goes on and he asks the question, how can you say you love a God who you don't see if you can't even love your brother who you can see? A mark of a mature disciple is how we love one another in the church. I've learned this over the years. If I see a life that is full of broken relationships with brothers and sisters, I get a red flag in my spirit. And it doesn't, and by the way, I've gone, I've been walking this walk for 40 plus years and I've had some broken relationships with other believers. I've gone through difficult times. I've made some mistakes. But I've allowed it to change me and I've allowed it to improve me and cause a growth in me. And as far as I know, at this time, there isn't a person on the planet that I could run into or see that I would have a little bit of a <clears throat> on the inside. To the best of my ability, with every person on the planet. But it hasn't been with God working some things in me to change me. And that's discipleship. That is growing in my ability to love like Jesus loved. I want to bring a bit of a warning this morning. There are, um, well, let me put it this way. You and I are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. I would encourage you to be careful because we live in a day when there are so many voices that can discipleship, disciple us. And whether we realize it or not, we're constantly being shaped and molded by what we see and hear. In reality, true discipleship is about relationship, and I'm not going to cover that. I have a feeling Renee will. But the reality is this. We should be wise what type of voices we allow to shape and mold us spiritually. And here's a question that I would always ask. Is this conforming me to the image of God's dear son? Is this, whatever I'm hearing, is this making me more of a disciple of Jesus? 
not of such and such a person or such and such a ministry or such and such a church, is, is am I being, uh, uh, am I allowing something into my life that aids and assists in the conforming of me into looking more like Jesus? Am I allowing that which I'm hearing and seeing causing me to fall more in love with Jesus? It's a good acid test because we are predestined to be conformed to his image. And that is, and it's God who did that. And it is God that is constantly working in my life and in yours to make us look more like Jesus. We're being conformed to his image. But there is another force that is alive and well in our culture and in our world. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world. And there is a culture that wants to conform us. So we got two opposing uh, forces, if I could say it that way, that want to conform us into a mold, into something. We've got God who wants to conform us into the image of his dear son. And we've got the world and all that is around us that wants to conform us into the model and mold of what the world would have us to be. And it's a very real pressure. And my warning is that we be careful as those in the church that we do not allow the toxicity that is in the world to get into us. There's a lot of stuff. Let me take a drink. There's a lot of stuff that's been going on in our world over the past couple years that can cause there to rise up within you and in within me a righteous indignation. And it's like, Ugh! And it's frustrating, and, it, and, and it's even a righteousness, which, or a, a anger and an indignation which is godly. But we must be careful that we don't carry that over and aim it toward people, especially in the household of God. There is a, there is a toxicity that is in the world, and we must not let it in the church. There's a division that is in the world. It's so obvious, and we must not allow it in the church. The Apostle Paul addresses this in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here, here's the deal. In there can be a uh, division about spiritual things. The concern I have is there's so much division that can creep into the church in this day, and it doesn't even have to do with spiritual things. It's about natural things that don't even really matter. But because there's this self or this uh, righteous indignation that rises up within us, if we're not careful, it turns to self-righteousness. And it's like, well, we, we know the truth. 
And we need to be very wise how we talk about our brothers and sisters. We need to be very wise how we talk about those within the family of God, whether it's in the household where you just happen to worship or the household down the street. Apostle Paul writing, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, writing to disciples, I, you know, followers of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus. Are you not carnal? We've probably come a long way as a church at large, and most certainly as a church here at Living Waters, that we don't get caught up in denominationalism. But there is still a sectarianism that we can get caught up in, and that is that word sectarianism just simply means an excessive devotion to something. And we can allow division to come among us that is not of this world, it's, uh, or that is of this world, it's not of the spirit, it is of carnality. Sometimes we want to say, well, it's the devil. Oh, it's, it's way worse than the devil. It's man. You can cast out demons, but people need to die. What did he just say? I said, you can cast out a demon, but people need to die. People need to change. I don't mean die well, maybe. <laughs> the reality is that the real challenge is carnality many times. And it's just human nature. And it leads to envy, strife, and division. Be careful that we don't say, well, I'm of this news channel. And you're of that news channel. Careful. Envy, strife, and division. Well, I'm of this scientific view, and you're of that scientific view. Careful. Envy, strife, and division. Well, I'm of this doctor's view, and you're of this doctor's. Oh, 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 careful. Envy, strife, and division. Well, I'm of this political party, and you're of that political party. Careful. Don't let division in. Well, I'm of this candidate and you're of this. Careful. Don't let division in. Well, I'm of this cause and you're of that cause. Careful. Do not let division in. Understand this. It is okay to have your personal views and convictions. 
It is not okay to allow them to divide you from your brothers and your sisters. One of the core values of uh, Living Waters Church is autonomy. Another way of saying that is free will. And it was driven home very clearly to me early uh, in pastoring of uh, Living Waters Church. And I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating because it is so in me and it's so ingrained in the house. We were a satellite plant of Living Waters Church and in, or of a Way of the Cross Church in Blaine. I was one of the elders there, and we planted a work here in Elk River, and uh, Don Fotenhauer came to preach. And he went back to the, on a Sunday, on a, we had our elders meetings on Monday nights. The f- next Monday night, I'm sitting in an elders meeting, and Don is there, and he says, we need to release that church plant or it will die. And then he said this. He said, they need to be autonomous. They need to connect to the head for themselves. And through a process of discussion and some elders making it clear they didn't think if they did that that we would make it, the decision was made to release us to be our own autonomous church. And I don't know how to say it any other way, but I, as a pastor, watched as instantaneously God put favor upon Living Waters Church. We had immediate, Luke was an elder then. I mean, he was one of our first elders. We had immediate growth. We had immediate financial increase because of the growth. At that time, I was working bivocationally as a carpenter and pastoring uh, as well. I was able to, because of the growth and the need to care for what God was doing, I was able to step away from my construction job, and the church was able to support me as a pastor. My point is this. I saw the Lord make it very clear what he thinks about autonomy. And I believe it's not just for the church, but it's for you. And you need to have an autonomy. You need to be able to connect with the head for yourself. And so does every other believer. And when you and I get into a divisiveness of saying, you should be doing this or you should be doing that, we've got no business. Don't let any pastor, including this one, ever tell you what you should be doing. The only thing I will encourage you to do is listen to the shepherd for yourself. You know his voice. And if you don't know it, you'll make a few mistakes and you'll get to learn it. But the reality is, I, uh, our leadership is not a, the voice of the Lord for you. We can be a voice. We can be a voice of encouragement. We can, we can do all kinds of things, but we cannot take the place of the chief, chief shepherd. And we will not. And oftentimes division comes because we want to somehow um, uh, have everyone be like us. I know what God is like. He looks just like me. No, he doesn't because God gave people free will. He gave them autonomy. I've never understood how men of God and women of God could assume that the God who gave people free will all of a sudden puts me in a place where I take it away. Come on! Yeah. 
That's silly. Sorry if I'm getting riled, but this is important to me. Because there's a spirit behind that which wants to control and to, and to bring division based on something that does not even matter. It's not even spiritual. It's carnal so many times. You are a unique being and you follow the voice of the shepherd. I'm just going to close with reading this about your uniqueness. Same, same Paul writing the same letter in Corinthians. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You and I are unique. One of my goals is to make sure there's nobody on the planet like me. One's enough. Don't laugh. One of you is enough too. But we do need to be who we are. And we do need to grow in our ability to honor one another and love one another. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Please stand. We ask you to bless each person here, and we thank you that you're not done with any of us. Continue to build us up in you, Lord. Continue, Father, to conform us to the image of your dear Son, that we might grow up and be mature men and women of God who walk out the honor of one another, but more than that, the love of one another. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.